Psychedelic science is exploding, and we talk to people at the forefront. So cut through the noise, converse with the vanguard. This is Mind Manifest. Hi there, and welcome along to the Mind Manifest podcast. I'm your host, Niall Campbell. Well, recently I sat down with Greg Donaldson. Greg Donaldson is a psychotherapeutic counsellor working in both Brighton and London. He holds a postgraduate diploma in psychosynthesis counselling and is currently undertaking an MA in psychosynthesis psychotherapy. And Greg is part of the Imperial College team who are currently researching the comparative effects of psilocybin and SSRIs on major depressive disorder. So I sat down with him in the library of the Psychosynthesis Trust located in the heart of London and I really enjoyed the chat. I found Greg to be personable, balanced and just very thoughtful and so it made for quite a light conversation which is often a nice foil to some of the more profound topics you get into when you start talking around depth psychology. So I hope you enjoy the chat and I'll see you on the other side. Greg, thanks so much for uh, joining me. Pleasure. Um, well, I should say I'm joining you because we are in the library in the Psychosynthesis Trust. Is that yep, correct? In London Bridge, yeah. Ah, very close to London Bridge. Um, so Greg has very kindly um, given up his lunch break uh, to t- tell me, uh, to just fill me in on, first we're going to chat a little bit about what psychosynthesis is. And as Ricky Gervais likes to say about Carl Pilkington, he is a man unencumbered by knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) So that is how I describe myself when it comes to psychosynthesis. And as we get into it a little bit more, it will hopefully become, you know, more pertinent as to why this Mm. is a, this should be a a topic that therapists and just the wider people interested in psychedelia are paying a bit more attention to. So how would you, if someone were to accost you in the street and say, what is psychosynthesis? Mm. After saying, who the fuck are you and <laughs> why do, how do you know what I do? What would you say to them? Well, I'd say that it is a uh, model of therapy that is um, a transpersonal model of therapy. So, you know, th- but then when they said, what, what's that? I'd, I'd say, well, it's a kind of therapy that um, includes... I mean, the, the way that I the way that I often explain it to clients actually is is that actually if you look at the psyche as a house, you know, if you were kind of doing the Freud thing, you'd be like rooting around in the basement and kind of looking for all the all the stuff down there in the past and how we're kind of, you know, um, programmed from from uh, our upbringings, and um, you know, if it was a Jungian therapy, it would p- probably be most up mostly up in the attic. And what I love about psychosynthesis is it's, it kind of includes everything. So it's it's got this sort of sense that like the the model is actually drawn as an egg. So um, the, the idea that actually levels of consciousness are sort of with within us everywhere. So it's down in the dark, in the shadows, in the murky bit, and but it's also up in the kind of higher realms of consciousness as well. So. Um, you know what I really love about it is that it's it, it it is a sort of holistic kind of therapy, but it also includes um, potential. Mm. You know, so there's a the word that seems to come out whenever I've done my initial little bit of research is it isn't definitely not a hopeless therapy. It it sort of superimposes hope onto maybe what seems to reflexively push people away from any yeah. Freudian perspective. Would that be fair? Yeah, I mean it. it you know, I want to be careful to sort of say that it includes sure. the Freudian aspect and kind of like psychoanalysis, you know. And but what Asagioli said, who was actually the, the the founder of psychosynthesis, is that actually you know you do this you do the psychoanalysis and then psychosynthesis. So so yeah, you're right. It's kind of it's about um, possibly hope, about potential, about. Um, you know, I call my practice emerging purpose because it's it, that's that kind of sums it up for me. It's it's um, you know, yeah, yeah, we have a history, but we can't go back in time and fix that history. You know, so actually, where are those parts of you that were traumatized or hurt in the past? Where are they in you now? Whenever you say "in you now," yeah, um, which is fun to say in a Northern Irish accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you mean? In your, let's just get onto the high street here in your yeah. practice where we are right now. Mm. 
does that show up are you talking more like where is this showing up behaviorally for you right now yeah. or f- so yeah it's a very it, it has a roots in behavior behavior absolutely approach. i think i think um you know most most people who come to me have got to a point where their unconscious material is kind of um bursting through into the conscious into their conscious reality and they and they're surprised by it and you know some people come in in crisis or whatever um and you know mostly what they want me to do is kind of pack it back down and close the door and make them okay again whereas actually the way that i see it is the journey that we're going to take is we're going to invite what that thing is in, that's trying to come out into conscious consciousness and sort of explore it a little bit more so you know so if you come in and sort of say well i'm i'm very much this type of person i'm this type of person i'm not that type of person i'd be more interested in oh you're not that type of person that's interesting so let's go there do you know what i mean and see how see where that needs expression in your life somehow so it's like who's the um Who's the who's the doppelganger that you left in the waiting room? Invite exactly. them into the session. So you're basically doing couples therapy, but with the shadow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and probably more like even more family therapy, really, because that's the other thing about psychosynthesis is that it has a a sort of philosophy that we have subpersonalities. So there's kind of a crowd within, really. It's not just another another one, one. one bloke. It's <laughs> yeah, not just <laughs> hiding in the shadows. Be easier, wouldn't it? If it's yeah. just, okay. There's usually a sort of committee going on. I mean, it, <laughs> I, I really love using sort of metaphors, and I think um, you know one of the one of the great the great metaphors that I've sort of heard around this kind of work is that really like the psyche is a kind of walled city, and um, you know it, we choose who we put in charge of that, and and often it's a sort of dictator. Because that's the loudest voice, or that's the loudest narrative, or whatever. So, is that a way that? Uh, would it be fair to say then that the anthropomorphosis of that is the tyrant king, and the neuroscientific uh, anal- analogy is the default mode network? Often for people, it's the inner tyrant. Is that a? Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and the um, you know, really the way that I see it, in my opinion, is that uh, that we're aiming actually for a, a kind of democracy, you know, and and um, and that's about trying to communicate or trying to get the people out of the ghetto, you know, that we've kind of put in there because we don't like what that looks like in, in our life. And actually, when you start letting those bits out and kind of take the, king, the tyrant off the throne, mm-hmm. everyone gets a go. Yeah. You know. So this inviting the ghetto, the ghetto people yeah. to come in. Um, that is, I think that will resonate with people listening because Mm. everybody knows they've got a, uh, you know, a boardroom of Mm. (laughs) of people, uh, that they try and uh, keep, keep away from, uh, our day-to-day interactions with others. Yeah. Um, it's a heavy bag to carry. Since we're talking in an applied way, how does that, like, could you give me a sort of classic example for how that's showing up, you know? In someone's life. In this week, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um... So what? So there's a there's one client I've been talking to recently, who's kind of re, fairly new, um, you know, and he'll be coming in and sort of um, talking about how it's all, you know, there's all this anxiety, there's all this depression, you know, these are the words that are kind of attached to it these days, aren't they? And um, you know, so the first the first sort of investigation would be okay, so what do you believe about yourself you know whenever whenever there's anxiety around i always kind of believe that there's two opposing forces so again if you, you know to look at that through psychosynthesis viewpoint it would be well who are the who are the players who who are opposing each other um you know so the next thing i'd be i'd, I'd want a little bit of family history but I'd, you know sometime so this guy t- he told me about um you know this perfect family that he comes from now that always rings alarm bells for me, you know, because I sort of, <laughs> yeah. but it's like, well, does anyone come from a perfect family? You know, it's it doesn't ring true. So then, so then the investigation goes a little bit deeper, and you know, and then the next thing I find out, oh, you were a problem child, so you you believe that about yourself, although you come from this perfect family. So, you know, as we know, we internalize our sort of parental messages and. You know, so in, in, in inside him, he's kind of got this perf- almost like this perfectionist 
that's telling him live the best life you can and he you know and his life looks great on the surface in terms of like you know go out and do sports and you know i'm really healthy and i have really great relationships and all this sort of stuff and yet he's trying to ghettoize this um um you know this kid who was the problem child and and he's come to a point in his life where that kid's like wanting to smash the door down you know and kind of um make himself known and i think the more we keep the door locked you know these parts of us they're just in the gym building up muscle waiting for the moment so i sort of see my job as almost like well what would it be like if you sort of said to yourself well i have an aspect that is a problem child he's only a problem child because he's been told that um but if you were to now parent that child how would how would it be if you, how would it be to kind of um, imagine that he's within you now and what would you want to say to him and what would you what what does he need in order to kind of not be a problem child because no, he no, you know. beat the door um obviously conscious of confidentiality and de-identification and everything mm. but um how whenever you say problem child mm. is that like as in black sheep of the family and there's some component of his like a legitimate organic component of his personality that wasn't was like repudiated by his family or i'm just or because problem child could couldn't be pathologized to be like oh, just a bad kid or it could yeah. be that they're an artistic kid in a in a scientific family or a scientific yeah. kid in an artistic family you know I'm just well i think it's all of those things i think whatever whatever um led the parent in some way to 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 give that yeah to give the kid that message then it's a way it's almost like you know if you would like looking looking through a letterbox and you saw someone behind the letterbox you only see that letterbox version of them and i think you know obviously as parents we kind of want our kids to fit within our, our own letterbox of our, our understanding of life and reality when actually they're a fully they're a full spirit human being themselves and and you could say actually really the, the the job of the parent is to kind of almost like allow that full expression to be there isn't it but of course you know we we all come from our own kind of um letterbox views of ourselves you know so so i suppose you know that's another way of looking at it. it's like we're going well i have more i have more in me than than i'm viewed as you know so so to hear that that phrase i'm a problem i was a problem child you know, it's sort of so believed and so taken on as a message that the problem child's still there, you know. And 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 in some ways, that's what's so amazing about this work, I find, is that... So if you suddenly give... If you shine a torch on that that part of yourself and go, well, what, what are his assets? What, what is it... You know, if he had full expression in your life, what would that look like? You know, it might look like you're a bit of a rebel or it might look like you're a bit naughty or, you know, you sort of like smoke a few cigarettes at the weekend or whatever or, or go out and party or whatever it is, you know. But if you haven't allowed yourself to do that, then you're kind of like living this sort of like half-life. I'm not saying that it's just about going out and partying and smoking sure. cigarettes, but but that would be the, the sort of maybe the unhealthy expression of trying to keep that part of you denied, yeah. you know? Yeah, and the unhelpful, the, unadap- the maladaptive component. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when, and where we are, just to give some context, we are right in zone one. You know, this is a uh, financial district. There mm. is, I would imagine that your clientele are usually quite high functioning. Uh, I don't want to make any assumptions. Partly, but yeah, yeah, some of them are. Yeah, yeah, come from over from the city. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that, that just obviously occupies a, a subset um, yeah. And I know, I know from working with people like that that it can. There's a massive cost-benefit analysis, for, especially for people like that, mm. because the other parts are so. Re- their objective success is so rewarded. Yeah. And uh, it's sort of instantiated again and again and again. Instantiated is the wrong word. It is just constantly fe- the feedback loop is more of this, please, more of this, exactly. please, more achieve, of this, please, achieve, 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 achieve. achieve. Yeah. Um, and so the gradient between, because the kid in the, the ghetto who comes out isn't going to be, ask anybody that's taken in a kid from a ghetto mm. who then becomes an amazing adult as a foster parent. Mm. It wasn't like, the story is never, 
And so then we got little Charlie at age 12. And do you know what? He was a delight from day one. He's like, you speak to foster, you know, they tried no. to burn the house down, you know, stole the car. Yeah. There's a there's a really big period of adjustment. Yeah. And that can be so at odds with the all-conquering objectively all conquering person so it doesn't it's it's a it's a it's a shitty piece of well i shouldn't say that but it's 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 so out of sync with the rest of the furniture in the house yeah it's so obviously yeah it's like a crap piece of ikea furniture in blenheim palace or something <laughs> it just stands out initially mm. before it gets integrated yeah. so how is that something which people are expressing as a, a logistical concern they're like i know I'm hearing you, Greg. Absolutely. This is a big part of me. It needs to come out. I get that. It's it's spilling over in ways that I yeah. can't. It's unmanageable. So that pra- how do you address that? How does psychosynthesis help people okay. practically address that emotional problem? So it's a very creative sort of approach, really. So, you know, it might be just look like this, you know, two people sitting opposite each other mm-hmm. talking for a while. And then, you know, when we start to meet these... Minus the microphones. Minus the <laughs> microphones. Although maybe that's a new therapeutic technique. Who podcast, knows? Podcast therapy. <laughs> podcast therapy. Email me, tell me how you feel. I'll send, I'll send my invoice in the post. Do I have to pay for this? Yeah, yeah, you're paying me. Yeah, I'm integrating this part of you. You've always wanted to be an, an interviewee. You know what? I think you're right. At some level, at some <laughs> level, exactly. he's there. Probably in the ghetto. I give well, you not g- so in the ghetto, actually. <laughs> yeah. This is a nice ghetto we're in. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, they, what I'll start doing is I, I, I work with the unconscious messages that are coming up. So that either comes through sitting and talking and I'm just hearing the words and hearing this is what I believe about myself. This is what I'm not. This is what I believe about myself. This is what I'm not. And I'm interested in the what I'm not stuff. Um you know, like you say, you know, the people coming over from the city or whatever, they just basically, their achievers have got hold of the steering wheel and they're, this is it, I'm I'm driving the car now, you know. And so, so we can talk in metaphors like this, you know, and sort of have those conversations and sometimes that's enough for people. So it's like all they need is a kind of few metaphors and a few ideas of, oh, right, so if I let my artistic side sit in the in the seat and drive for a bit, that might feel quite nice. It might feel risky because mm-hmm. maybe as a kid I was told that that's a waste of time or that it's, you know, a frivolous hobby or whatever, you know, and that's that a lot of the work I do with people is about like, okay, so you've got a kind of artist that's not being allowed out or a, a creative side that's not being allowed out or whatever. So, you know, then we might move into chair work. If it, if it gets to the point where we really need to like define you know, who who needs a voice, then I might sort of say, okay, let, well, do you get an image for that part of you? Does it just allow it to come up? What, what comes up? Does an image come up? Do you see do you see that part? And if they don't really respond to that, you know, then we kind of might imagine it together, like maybe, you know, a character from a book or a character from a myth or a film. Like, who, who would you relate that mm. part of yourself to? Is it the bad guy in the film? Is it this? Is it that? You know? Can I, sorry, just interrupt yeah. to ask about what, could you maybe unpack the term chair work? Oh, sorry, people? yeah, No, yeah, that's no problem, but... No, so the idea that, um, you know, in a therapy room, um, <clears throat> you can take, in a sort of imaginative way, take a part of yourself, put it on a chair in the room, you know, so you're kind of looking at an empty chair, but you're imagining this part of yourself, and you, you know, through a little bit of facilitation from the therapist... It's about like, well, what would you, when you look at that part of yourself sitting in that chair, what do you make of that part of yourself? You know, and people are kind of, well, depending on what it is, you know, it's like, oh God, they look really angry or they look really upset or or kind of depressed or something. And it's like, well, what do you imagine that part of you would like to hear from you if you had the ability to speak to it? You know, and you kind of get, so then you get into a dialogue with that part of yourself and um and then i might ask the client to then go and sit into that other chair and um feel into what it feels like just to be solely that part of them and um respond to the other part of them that's sitting in the other chair you know is it ju- what's coming at me is it judgment is it that you, is it that you want to get rid of me is it that you you know um think that i'm useless whatever you know, and then once you've got that dialogue going, 
there's almost like a th the therapist almost like plays the third observer, you know, and and they also have their own kind of observer who who's looking at it as well, you know, internally. And then and then you can do a little bit of work around that, talk around it, kind of go, well, that was interesting when you said that to yourself, mm -hmm. and that was interesting when you kind of sat into the other part of yourself and and felt um, judged by you, you know, what do you make of that? And kind of just digging into this these internal relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's quite, some people kind of go more naturally into that kind of work. Um, so if someone's not, doesn't doesn't feel that they can do that, you know, we can just do it verbally. We can just talk about, you know, what's it like to us to think about what that other part of you might be like and just discuss it. But I think, um, you know, the other side, we might use like imagery in terms of like drawing. There's always like crayons and paper around and, you know, kind of getting out unconscious images, unconscious images and unconscious messages. And then and then kind of getting the torchlight on them and saying, OK, well, actually, what do you mean by this? You know, how is that helping you? How is that serving you? Mm. You know, and I suppose ultimately what we're looking for is almost like how that part of you could be a, com a real asset, mm. you know, if if it was acknowledged. I suppose, and I'm going to maybe not so much push back, but yeah. interrogate the modality because I think that mm. needs to happen for any, mod and we'll get on Absolutely. to obviously how it is, is linking up with um, psychedelic therapy in a research context. Mm. Um. What came up for me when you were talking about that is, um, have, you, have you ever watched the program Peep Show? Yeah. yeah the bit where um, uh, Mark Corrigan, the, the sort of the anti-hero, goes along with it, the girl he's trying to sleep with, as is uh, the context of every episode. <laughs> and he goes to uh, a thing called Rainbow Rhythms, and okay. they have to dance in this like very expressive way. And right. obviously it's got his internal monologue and he is just so... He's clearly a very poorly integrated man. That's the whole, you know, message of the show. Yeah. And he just absolutely loses himself, but it's his ego protecting him because the, the, the internal monologue is, I'm just here observing. I'm Louis through. I'm Louis through. <laughs> it's very funny, but it's funny because it's painfully true. Yeah. I can imagine that for a certain type of person, any work that isn't, like they barely get into the chair to intellectually discuss this with you. Exactly. You know, the tyrant has sort of allowed an audience yeah. with you and it's going to, and it's like the Stasi, it is going to get every, every feedback and it will, it's like an, a cultural program under the Third Reich or something. It's, mm. it's, it's only going to be allowed if it, if it fits in with the tyrant's yeah. message. Yeah. How do you, comes up when when you say to people okay i'm gonna put an empty chair in the room and there mm. tech goes oh for fuck's sake here we go yeah i mean How to do you be honest i that? feel that i can i can mostly sense whether someone's ready for it or not <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean so yeah. so i wouldn't like if someone came in the first session and you know I, like, I mean i have done chair work in the first session because i kind of feel like oh you've done a bit of work you've you've experienced therapy you might you know what this is about, so we can kind of dive straight in. Whereas other people, like you say, right, might be therapy naive or actually that they've got a perception of therapy that it is, I'll just sit and ask you questions and, you know, and, and you just answer them. We'll get through it. We'll, we'll, we'll just get through we'll this get hour through. and I'll tell my wife I went exactly. and nothing happened yet. Yeah, but I mean, as you, you know, as you know yourself, it's probably, you, you sense that in the room. So, I, I, you know, although I like to be quite... Um, provocative sure. let's say because i feel that's probably in service of the client in terms of like you know we are we are setting up a base camp next to your discomfort you know so whether that takes six sessions 12 sessions or two years of working or whatever you know and some clients i might not do chair work at all you know it's it's about kind of finding roots in like how are we going to find the buried treasure basically mm. and and there's there's so many different routes to that mm. you know there's not um and it's obviously client focused and that they might choose to the mm. reason i ask about that is research is me search so if someone goes oh i wonder does this come up for a client mm. that would happen for me and has done in the past when i've had my own work in therapy where right I've, i think there's a sort of visceral suspicion that more the more embodied it is, the more profound the work will actually mm. be. Mm. So there's almost like a the tyrant will allow the discussion 
because mm. it can control that. Keeping it but heady. But if, if, if Mark Corrigan were to actually get ego dissolution for five minutes and dance to some say trance or whatever, mm. he might actually go, do you know what? I'm really releasing some psychosomatic pain here. And that's hugely destabilizing. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and in a way, and of course, you know, we both appreciate this, there does come a different type of therapeutic responsibility for people who are very much in their heads and very much controlled by that because they have to go agree, yeah. off the high street. And so to just that metaphor you give of a base camp, mm. the reason that I was very keen to talk to you was because I was very interested in psychosynthesis and how it is from, from a research perspective, mm. aligning and, and collaborating with psychedelics mm. and the base it, it is potentially going to operate as a as a therapeutic base camp mm. for people either ascending the peaks or <laughs> falling down, you know, journeying into the valleys Absolutely. of their own psyche. Yeah. Um. So maybe could you give some background into how your work as a therapist has led you um, to to be collaborating with the the imperial team? Just give us some background into into what's currently going on. Yeah. Sure. So. Um I mean, you know, to, to, to firstly say that, you know, as a sort of younger man, you know, I, I had a lot of psychedelic experiences. Um, and so it's always been in a kind of area that I'm interested in. Um, I'd say the difficulty with that is like, I think when taking it when you're younger is obviously there's no, um, well, there wasn't for me, there wasn't a sort of guiding influence around that. So it was very much jumping into something that's quite uh, that's that's massive. You're jumping into your unconscious material, and and um, and that for a lot of years was quite a struggle. In, and I found myself kind of like returning to the experience to see if I could kind of find the way through it. Do you see what I mean? Like so, um, it was it was almost like this. Um, oh, I didn't get the message that time, so I'm going to do it again. You know, like the old Alan Watts thing. You know, if you get the mess, if you pick up the phone and get the message, why do you keep picking the phone up again? You know, you got the message. You kept getting the dial tone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, so from a personal point of view, I sort of felt like I got to a point in my life where I was um, a thirty, and I actually just kind of stopped doing everything. Like I stopped drinking, taking drugs, everything, because I kind of thought, well, I just need to know who I am. Uh, without all that stuff, you know. And so I did a lot of work on myself throughout that. And part of that was becoming a therapist. Um, I didn't really intend to go into the psychedelic arena, if you like, but as these things happen, uh, a thread appeared. So I was working with um, a brilliant colleague of mine called Michelle Baker-Jones, who works at the Imperial as well, and uh, Rosalind Watts, mm -hmm. who heads up that uh, the, the guiding team there. And um, they, they'd invited Bill Richards over, to, uh, the guy who is kind of like, almost like the grandfather of psychedelic guiding. I, didn't, I mean, I didn't know who he was, to be honest, but I, they, what they wanted was um, an actor. So in my previous life, I'd also been an actor for 20 years, um, which again is kind of connected to therapy and you know, stepping into other people's roles and all mm -hmm. this kind of motivations and everything. Um, but anyway, so they were sort of saying, oh, we need an actor to come and play a, pay a client who's going through a psilocybin experience so we can kind of film Bill doing his thing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll come and do that. You know, so we ended up in this um, sort of big place up in Maida Vale somewhere. And we were, we were, I was kind of going into this kind of remembering, you know, what the psychedelic experience and how challenging they can be. And I had the eye masks on and the headphones and everything. And I was kind of reenacting some kind of difficult stuff, you know. And Bill, bless him, is the, the sweetest guy. Um, and also has a kind of power, a, a sort of very humble power to him. He, you know, he really is like the sort of grandfather kind of uh, figure, really. And he, and he was giving me all this kind of verbal prompts and he was holding my hands through this thing and he was you know he'd be saying come on in and through my boy in and through you know face the demon look in its eyes you know and there was this sort of so um you know i sort of absorbed almost like this 
one-to-one tuition you know and and I was talking to him after we'd done the filming and I was sort of saying oh that's interesting I've just trained as a therapist and you know maybe this is an area I could go into and he was saying well yeah do it you know and um and then and then Roz invited me to be on the team um which I was very grateful for you know and and I kind of got involved that way really that's fascinating Um, way in yeah I mean it it, it, (laughs) You can't really ignore those things, can you? <laughs> Bill Richards is a bit... Is, but some other people are like, where are you, a therapist? Well, my, my, my careers teacher said, you know, like, it would be good, I could do it at the local tech, and then... <laughs> yeah, Bill Richards guided me through yeah. a psilocybin, a reenactment of a psilocybin experience, got me to go in and through, you know, it's like... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just felt like I couldn't ignore it. And, I, you know, and I've had, I've had do- sort of dips or questions in why I'm in this arena. Sure. Because part of me is quite cynical about it, really. Right. So, you know, I think, and I think what I've come to the conclusion of is that that's actually what it probably needs. You know, is that actually, you know, I mean, I'm not totally cynical. I believe, Mm -hmm. I believe in the, in the substances in, in, as a, as another tool, as one version of a tool that we can use to sort of go into sort of psychological exploration. And I think that's great, but I think also there's um, a worry around it that people think it's the thing. You know, it's like the next great book or the next great healing thing. And, you know, there's a, there's that phrase that's kind of going around a lot at the moment. Um, you know, you can reset your brain. Mm-hmm. And I love, you know, I absolutely think it's brilliant that all this stuff's coming into the mainstream. And I think it has to happen. But the problem with that is that that people latch onto it as like the the cure all thing, you know, and it, and and that's I think where my cynicism probably helps in terms of like the therapeutic relationship because I because I can offer other you know a sort of more varied spectrum of tools to to help with what's ever going on with that person mm-hmm. rather than sort of say well yeah just take psilocybin and you'd be fine mm-hmm. you know which I think is it's dangerous mm-hmm. you know <clears throat> the integration of the cynical aspects of the personality is as important as the loving aspects absolutely I think. and i think that there's a there is a risk um that the cadre of people who are ostensibly in charge of this might not so much repudiate that but the the, the cynicism can get a little bit washed out or mm. or dampened down to an extent which is mm. not only irresponsible mm. um but just uh one-sided and he, who knows only his side of the argument knows not even that so that the, mm. the space for cynicism it's an interesting one i think that yeah cynicism about is a, a i don't know i mean i'm personally feel that uh from coming from an outside perspective like not being steeped in psychedelics mm. there's an element of cynicism which is unhelpful and mm. then there's another one another side of that which is uh, appropriately protective and appropriately objective Absolutely. and appropriate and uh, it helps it steel man the, the yeah. utilisation of it within society. I think it's absolutely crucial for anything that's approaching scale. Absolutely yeah. crucial. Yeah, and I think that, you know, what's, what's amazing about that is that actually, the, so this whole sort of resurgence into the academic and the mm-hmm. research aspect of psychedelics is kind of holding that line in some ways. It's sort of saying, okay, well, let's not, you know, it's the you don't want the horse to bolt before the whatever. I, don't mm-hmm. know, I, I never know how to say that I one <laughs> because <laughs> I always think open is the, does the horse bolt or was it the boat in the gate? I, I, let's not be stable, boys. We'll be shite at it. <laughs> All the horses have run away again. Greg yeah. and I are terrible at this. They're they're having a pretend psilocybin experience in the hay. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I think that's what's interesting, and that's I feel like probably why I'm drawn into the sort of research side of it at the moment and the the trials and everything because you feel it, a responsibility to bring that into the mix um i feel a responsibility to keep to keep a, uh, uh, my feet on the ground uh, that's what i feel and i think that the, and so you know i think the academic side of it can really help with that because it is research it's like we're looking at you know although with that's interpretive and you know we interpret that as well um, but I think the the possibly the community around psychedelics or the people who are coming to it naively could be getting a message 
that it's like this is the way you know and it just becomes another church then isn't mm-hmm. it it's like another cult yeah do you and I, and I just to clarify what I, I'm assuming but I could be wrong but I'm assuming you mean naively as in pharmacologically naive to oh, the yeah, substances yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not to say there isn't a lot of the other type of naivety uh, on display at any given conference no, or exactly. event. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, a lot of rainbow rhythms on display. Um, uh, um, so I interrupted you, uh, as is my right as an Irish person, <laughs> but you were saying you sort of brought us up to how you'd had this, um, yeah. what the the, the, mo- the best vouch ever for Bill Richards. Uh, yeah. So you, you met with the, the Imperial team or you just yeah, started so, to work with them? So I, the next part was like they were doing a guide training and um, I sort of agreed with Roz to role, role play some difficult scenarios. So... Um, I, you know, someone who was maybe having a psychotic break, someone who was getting paranoid, you know, and one of the guides who was there, I think it was Mark Axley, actually, um, who works for ICS out in Spain. He, he was to sort of demonstrate how he would work with someone in that space. And I think he, he comes from a lot more of the, you know, extreme uh, reactions, you know, so people who are having quite, maybe going to ayahuasca circles and um you know having kind of having coming back and not everything's kind of opened up and they're not they don't know how to kind of get back into their life you know um yeah and i think what came from that is it, it sort of served two purposes really it was like one purpose was to help the potential um you know new guides to see well, actually, every, all situations are kind of handable. You know, you can ha- you can handle that and kind of see what see what's needed in the moment. Um, but also that in the research setting, I think those kind of cases are a lot less. Then they're a lot less extreme. In fact, it's probably it's probably more the other way. It's that actually people kind of um, go into their experience and just hold hold it down and and get through it you know kind of almost almost like white knuckle it Mm -hmm. um you know they might not ask for help from the guides or they might um or feel that they can you know so and i think especially with people with depression you know you'd you'd imagine that they might not be able to to reach out and ask or whatever so it's actually probably probably the other extreme really in the in the research in the Mm -hmm. trials is that actually working with people depression it it can be about just opening the first door or opening a crack in the consciousness so the work can then begin sure. therapeutically speaking you know so um how is and again we, we, we've discussed off mic how the lead up into working with the team in, in imperial is the research is ongoing so we can't do anything no. speculative or, or yeah. speak about even the, the, the structure and, and I was at Breaking Convention recently and mm. you guys were great the team. It? it was fantastic it was mm. really nice multidisciplinary mm. experience and that that study came up a few times in Q&A when people were just peppering trying to find out what, what the crack was I just want to talk about how the therapy side of things works so I'm not interested in yeah. we'll, we'll come on to that I'll come back to that when the results are yeah, published that's fine, yeah. <laughs> but from a therapeutic side of things how is your like? Where are you guys at with that, and how are you finding your approaches integrating with? I, I think people are just curious how it sort of all fits together in mm. this particular study, as much as you can tell. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know the thing to say, obviously, about the trial is that, that it has to be sort of slightly contained in terms of like what's offered therapeutically. Sure. Also, um, I think that's partly to do with trying to isolate the effects of the psilocybin and the therapeutic and the sort of therapeutic aspect of it, but I'm. I mean, personally, I'm not sure that you can isolate those two. I mean, potentially you can. I mean, not people go off and do these experiences on their own, and 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 maybe don't do any integration work or therapeutic therapy work around it. Um, but in terms of what we what we do on the trial is like we offer um, you know prep sessions, uh, a dosing day, and then a, and then an integration day the next day. And then there's a three-week break, and there's integration session uh, integration sessions between that via Skype, and then the participant comes back three weeks later, doesn't uh, does the same dose again, blind study, so they don't know what they're getting. Um, we don't know what they're getting either, and um, 
and then the same thing prep day dose day integration the, the on the third day and then there's a sort of final follow-up at six weeks and in, in between that there's there's um the participant can normally call whoever they're they're attached to you know in the in the, on the study and um you know sort of hold that connection really mm. so you know if i was to sort of take it away from the trial what uh, you know the way that i see it working with some clients is that i'll do um maybe three months work with them before before they you know they've decided that they're going to go to amsterdam or holland or whatever and do do an experience yeah. have an experience um and they'll so they'll come and they'll we'll get into about three months work you know I'd say that's minimum, really. Um, and then they'll go off and do the experience and then hopefully I can have a chat with them the day after on Skype or something. And then they come back and we we continue the work. And and I feel like that's where that's where it's at for me. It's like, okay, yes, yeah, so you've you've got these messages and whether your experience you felt that it was bad or good or whatever, let's take whatever came up from it and see what it means in terms of how you live your life on a daily basis, how you can make changes to your to your life, you mm-hmm. know. So you're projecting how you've you're as a therapist who's now working with the actual research context and the substances themselves, it sounds like you're starting to get a more experiential appreciation for what the you know, the protocol if mm. you could design would 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 look like mm. and often it's like anything you know people if you and I wanted to refurbish this library we're in if you could send me a thousand photographs of like in all the correct dimensions but until mm. you're actually in the space and say ah oh, that color of cupboard won't work or this mm. you know, the shelves just it feels like you're getting more experiential yeah. awareness of what it should maybe look like it's starting to take shape for for you therapeutically clinically is that fair absolutely to say? yeah yeah I, yeah i really agree with that 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 you know i suppose if you'd asked me the same questions this time last year you know i, I, may, I may not have had the same answers you what's know. changed what what um i think you know for me and again i i, I sort of have to separate this from the trial really but for me i uh, the the belief that the therapy the therapy is the thing you know so, I mean, I talk about integration or psychedelic integration or whatever. I think that's what integration is therapy. You know, so it's it, it, like I was saying earlier, you know, like if we've got disowned parts of ourselves and, and we're trying to hide them away, then all we're trying to do is integrate them. And and I, I think it's the same with the psychedelic experience. It's like, well, whatever comes up on that, it's an, only another message from the unconscious. Like you might have in a dream or you might, or, you know, or the messages that you get throughout the day that you're you're not kind of sure about you know so clients will be coming with that stuff and wondering about it and the, i suppose the difference with the psychedelic experience is that it kind of potentially fast tracks you to the unconscious mm-hmm. you know and you might like what you see you might not but it but if you don't do any work with it afterwards then it's lost mm. you know it just slips into the back into the unconscious Ether, yeah goes back to the ghetto goes back to the ghetto exactly um if someone's not show, shown how to live in a in a more productive neighborhood then they're just gonna either recreate that neighborhood yeah. there or just go back to where they came from yeah um i think that's why we're also seeing this almost like this addiction to like the numinosity of the psychedelic experience mm-hmm. it's like um you know what wh- wow that was an incredible experience um, you know, I found out all this stuff about maybe what, what I where I need to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, let's go and do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I just that's what I I really feel like people need to be careful with is that um, the experience itself is so kind of opening and you know and can be quite hard graft of it. You know, if you're dealing with your demons, let's say, you know, so. Why is it going to be indifferent if you go back and do it again, like too soon? You know, it seems to me like if it's if you're properly, it's not to say that you couldn't get in a boxing ring every couple of weeks, Mm. but you're not going to have a long career as a fighter. Do you know what I mean? You're going to get punch drunk from the experience. And if 
as Sam Harris puts it, there's plenty of people from the 70s that were wandering in traffic, you know, or their kids were wandering in traffic. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the one, I suppose, concern that I would have about psychosynthesis or any of the an- analytic-style therapies that yeah. do more with the unconscious is that they seem to privilege, which I think is correct, but they privilege being f- friendly over being friends. They privilege a type of useful interrogation of the psyche mm. over a useless befriending of the psyche. So there's an interrogative aspect, mm. which uh, I think is a more altruistic stance to say, like, I know how to get this through an hour where you think I'm wonderful and refer all your family to me, but it's of no sort of great service to you because there is a elephant in the room. And if I don't, mm. I'm abdicating my ethical and therapeutic responsibility if I don't bring your attention to that. Mm. So there's an interrogative, interrogative component to that which I would imagine that in the time frames that they're being bandied around make their their rapport difficult for a certain type of client who comes in. Yeah, yeah. And there's a very strong and much, much more knowing interrogative aspects to psychedelics, which you can't get past. Yeah. So there's a concern that I have of my personal bias would be more mm. towards in, inter- in a type of interrogative use- usefulness of the therapist. Mm. But if it's like low resolution comparison, but it, you can't like I'm afraid of bad cop, bad cop. Put it that way. Right. And knowing how important the rapport is as your sort of um, uh, tethering device. So yeah. How how can if something's Mordor, you need to come back to Rivendell. So how how does <laughs> if you're gonna ask someone to go to Rivendell, you can come back here and recover here. You know, it needs to be nice. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sort of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, I mean, that's it. Well, that, but that, you know, the, I mean, if you look at psychedelic therapy sort of as an overarching, like, what's the motivation for it? You know, yeah. and it seems to always come back to connection. Right. You know, that it's actually about how we connect as human beings with other human beings. And um, so I think you're right. I think, the, you know, sometimes when we go on these, we, you know, we, we sometimes need to to do the 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 single you know go out into the into the desert for 40 days or whatever yeah. and kind of kind of find what we need to find and i think maybe psychedelics offers that in a in a kind of you know uh in a in a way that it that you could you can go to the unconscious and you've got to kind of go there alone you might have some guides with you but they're not they're not experiencing what you're experiencing and and yeah so potentially you know you could look at that and kind of go well that speeds up the therapy therapeutic process because you're opening up all the unconscious material and then it's up to you what you do with it after that and i think so i think you're right i think really what that needs then is is a is a sort of therapeutic relationship and someone who then offers who can offer interpretations or help you find your own interpretations so (coughs) tell me what you think of this yeah after the after the for the integration component, mm. especially for naive people, uh, uh, continuing on the work of the psychedelics of an interrogative aspect mm. to it mm. to be like okay we have a sort of beta version of what you'd like to do with this you know there's there's the download is not you've got all this new information mm. and an anal like a something which is deal a depth psychology is needed to unpack that. That's I suppose yes. what I'm getting at in the aftermath. Yeah, exactly. Let's not say aftermath, exactly. afterglow. So depth psychology, I think it's obvious to me that mm. that is what is needed. But in the sort of pre and intra phase, could there be a case made that client specific of course, but some people just need to be held and you know, and then later on when they come yeah. back. So yeah. is there times whenever you feel that approach, that modality might not be appropriate for clients in the run-up to an, to an experience? Or do you feel that that is actually um, disenfranchised, like people are, you know, what has been your, your experience? If you could take that perspective from yourself. Mm. I'm not quite sure I understand. Well, I'm, I, I'm trying to get away from my sort of bias of I think people are, I find it deeply offensive to people, the the, the 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 sort of 
coddling that I see in, in a lot of modern therapy oh, for I people. See, yes, yeah. Uh, but at the, so to my bias would be that people are far stronger than they, yeah, they okay. want it. The voluntary exposure for imaginal th- fears, th- that's my jam. Yeah. But then realizing that I don't know what I'm talking about with certain clients to see that actually what they need is to be held. Mm-hmm. They don't need another tyrant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah, there's exactly. a tyrannical aspect to some really good depths. Not tyrannical is the wrong word, but there is a interrogative aspect yeah, 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 that yeah. is then doubled up. That's really interesting, actually. I suppose, again, I probably might have answered this different a few years ago, yeah. but like now I feel it's interesting, isn't it? Because I suppose that interrogative part you could still be seen as a, the loving part from the therapist because it's because it <clears throat> you i mean it's the difference between i, I suppose what you, what you know what you might term colluding do you know what i mean so if if there's someone who comes in and they seem quite vulnerable and quite not, not they don't have a sort of great sense of self or whatever you know um start getting into that kind of interrogative place might be just too much for them. So again, it's about sensing the sort of energy in the room. What, like, what can you handle? The proximal zone. Really. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've come much more round personally myself. You know, the way that I operate is actually to be a little bit more. I mean, the, the, the you know the word challenge challenge is probably a bit overused, but a, a little bit more provocative. Let's say. Okay. Like you know, I might even explain to clients. You know. It might feel like you're in competition with me or that mm-hmm. you feel um, annoyed with me or you feel something's going, something's not right between us. Mm-hmm. And I'd really encourage you to express that like in the room with me and that, and that, will, that will probably speak to so- something in your history or your wounding that, that, m- that may help. Totally. You know? Abs- yeah. Absolutely. It's like, and then that's when the client's like, well, well, fuck you, daddy. I mean, oh, sorry, Drake. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, there's a sort of fishing as maybe well, there's a gentle. You're trying to be as a gentle as possible, but there's yeah. it's appropriate to sometimes go fishing. So yeah, um, I think the danger is that that therapy can get too sanitized. Totally. You know, and it's like all these sort of therapist sausages <laughs> kind of like yeah. coming through the machine. Mm-hmm. I think that also that's probably part of. Or, I don't know, maybe I need to speak from my own experience, but, you know, people who are newly qualified therapists, and uh, and this was certainly from my experience, is that you you have to handle everyone... Like really, they're made out of glass. Exactly, and, yeah. and it's all about just showing compassion and empathy, and, like, you know, I'm just here, and I'll just nod and listen, and, yeah. and you can go on your own narrative. Mm-hmm. And actually, is that really helpful? Because, no. you know, they can just c- keep driving down the same road that they've been driving and you're just mm-hmm. someone who's watching and listening yeah. you know and i think sometimes i, I love using driving metaphors obviously <laughs> but uh, you know we have to be in the passenger seat with them and just grab the car grab the wheel and let's go let's go off-roading yeah, do you know what i mean like yeah, um, yeah. let's just go over here mm-hmm. what's it like over here mm-hmm. you know and i think that's because uh, and that's the other thing about psychedelics isn't it it's sort of it, it kind of covers all the the, the it's, ruts. That it's you, not a safe space. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not a safe space. It's not exactly. a safe space. So we try and make it as safe as possible, like physically and yeah. the environment, and everything. But, but in a way, I feel like I, my my natural inclination, you know, working in a non pharmacological way with no no. I actually think it's this is. I actually think it should be called uh, psychedelic. Uh, you know, uh, psychotherapy assisting psychedelics, not mm. the other way around. Nice. I like um, it. But uh, my inclination is to not create because safe spaces is to create free spaces. Yes. And then the thing is, but if all of a sudden, big daddy of a psychedelic experience is coming in over the top, it's a bit like, oh no, I'm covered for the hugely unsafe space right now because mm. I've just, you know, had this horrendous experience. Can I please have a hug for once? Yeah. So there is a bias in myself that I sometimes need to, would imagine that I would need to correct for yeah. if these things become. Well, I think you on. can offer a hug. And a p- hug punch. A hug punch. <laughs> <laughs> or you don't know what you're going to get. It's like, well, I'm like a psychedelic experience. So come on in, come in for the real thing. And I'm either going to give yeah. you a punch or. Because yeah. we do, you know, uh, ultimately, m- me, you know, us sitting together in this room, not you and me, yeah. but, 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 you know, sitting with a client or whatever, it's 
there's already a hug in that. Sure. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's because implicit. It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and you know, and I can hold that that frequency of empathy. Yeah. But it doesn't always look like what you think it looks like. Sure. You know, it might be me annoying you. Actually. Yeah, you yeah, know what I mean? poking, yeah, poking, poking that bit to get them, <laughs> you know. So, so and that, you can say stop. Yeah, I don't like you poking me, and then we can talk about that. But that, f- from a practical perspective, what's com- what I would imagine then is, if depth psychology is, which I, I think it's a, it's a natural tessellating therapy for this, mm. and I have no dog in the fight. I'm not married to any particular modality, but I think that will, and I hope that that's empirically ratified because I'll have to follow the data wherever that goes. Mm. But something that's interesting when you're saying about the three months pre mm. is that if if depth psychology can create extraordinary rapport, it's just not going to happen in an elevator pitch. No. It has to, it's you have to walk up a few flights of stairs. You know, it's just longer. I really it percolates. That, yeah. yeah, I mean, any client that comes to me and says, you know, I want to do, I'm going to do psilocybin next week or tomorrow or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think, well, I work with what I've got, but you know and it's up to them if they want to do it or not but i feel like they're probably missing out on a whole on all the prep work you know why do you want to do it what's it about where do you where's it coming from what's the you know and then and then you've got a fuller picture of something to work with Mm -hmm. you might get on the psychedelic experience none of that stuff comes up sure have a nice time doesn't always have to be hard no exactly yeah so but i guess it's doing the groundwork and having that relationship with someone and also knowing perhaps that you're going, you're con- going to be continuing the work afterwards. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, it just brings it to a new level. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, what I was thinking there is of, you don't know what you're going to get from a depth psychology perspective. I heard a podcast with Aubrey Marcus once he's talking oh, yeah. about some super profound experience he had. And it was like the only two words I had. And you know, you're expecting his style, like some love and acceptance. And it was Nintendo and pajamas. And <laughs> the average, you know, sort of like depth psychologist is like, so did your father wear uh, the yeah. pajamas? Or why? <laughs> why, why is this Nintendo? <laughs> you know, you could, but it might just be that it was Nintendo and pajamas. You know, exactly. it doesn't need to be. Um, everything looks like a nail to a hammer. No, um, exactly, exactly that. I'm, yeah. I'm conscious of your of your time as well. I know you've got um, clients to annoy this afternoon, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm curious. Where do you see? So, really, what we've focused on, obviously, is is, is having a bit of a chit chat about depth psychology and mm. how it relates. Mm. Let's say, which I suspect and hope, um, the results over the next few years mm. from this combination of depth psychology approach which is your modality i'm not saying that's explicitly that in in the in the, in the therapy no. or in the, the the protocol itself yeah but if there's a sort of building understanding that these two you know go together very yeah. well the psychedelics and depth psychology both in in this uh, protocol how do you think that is going to uh, present itself. What's going to happen when it comes to say that being accessible on on the NHS? Because I know like it's problematic, like, isn't it? Ben Sessa and people are, are have been on television recently, and yeah. I haven't seen the interview yet. But I understand that there's a, uh, you know, I, I find that very problematic. Um, mm. That there's, I want it to be available to people. Yeah. And but I understand the restrictions that the National Health Service is under, and I don't mean yeah. the NHS. I mean a National Health Service. Mm. But I also understand that science and efficacy don't really give a fuck about what antecedent health mental health frameworks there mm-hmm. are in, in whatever society you're operating in so how do you see uh, those two things sort of interacting the NHS and um, this depth ecology I don't know I, I see it as problematic I mean at the moment you know if the I mean I, I think CBT is a great therapy but it's obviously and it's obviously you know um it can show results in terms of like the research and that's why it's kind of been adopted by the NHS. Um, you know, the, the, I think... It could the, be publication bias as well and founder effect. Right, okay, yeah. Um, so in some ways, if you're, if you're, you know, approaching what the... Mo- if you're sort of th- suggesting this is a model, you know, it's like, uh, you know, 12 sessions of psychotherapy and then a psychedelic, two, maybe two psychedelic experiences... And there may be twelve sessions of psychotherapy. I mean, that's expensive. You know, it's I, I probably see it more going into the sort of private sector. Like the you know, I think when when sort of legalization comes around, there'll be a, there'll be a sort of um, 
Will there be a gold rush? I don't know. You know, for people setting up psychedelic centres, um, offering it privately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's already happening in terms of people going off in in large groups to Holland sure. to do all that all kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, potentially there might be another way where it's kind of almost like if people are going to do it, they they might be able to do a bit of research, find people that, that might be up for guiding them. Sure. Um, I think making its way into the NHS, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just don't, I sort of see it as problematic. I sort mm-hmm. of feel like there's probably going to be some, I don't, I don't think you can just hand out psilocybin pills, basically. No. I mean, I saw something yesterday. There was some nasal, nasal spray. Escatamine. Yeah, there's a nasal yeah. spray for ketamine yeah but they've now come up with one psilocybin as well for like so microdosing psilocybin Mm -hmm. microdosing may be maybe the answer sure in terms of um how that get how that gets received and accepted by something that can be given out should do the gp i've got a special i've got hay fever wink wink yeah no problem i'll write you a prescription for that but i mean even if you look at cannabis now you know it's it's it, it it should be i mean it's supposed to be legally you know, GPs can prescribe it, but they, they're not. Sure. You know, there's, so... Do you know, for as a timestamp for me, there's going to be two in the hyperlinks to the blog post. I'm going to link to <coughs> Peter Atia, mm. who's an MD, has just done a podcast, which I haven't listened to yet, speaking to people about CBD and their researchers, I yeah. think. And so there'll be a delineation between CBT and THC, which I think is not right. prevalent enough. And um, mm. uh, there was... Oh, it's just slipped my mind, but um, a, a little bit of a talk. Oh, yeah, Michael Pollan did an article a while ago and I think it was a bit circumspect article about let's not necessarily follow the um, the cannabis mm. regulatory procedure for psychedelics you know it doesn't they're, they're, okay, it doesn't yeah. they're not the same no. so I'm going to have a read of those and, and link to those because I yeah, think having yeah. a the more people I talk to about this the more I find a general feeling of being a bit circumspect mm. about going too quickly mm. well this is that and that's it isn't it because then it just becomes another you know, sort of um, another drug to be prescribed, and then and then so there's no. What's the guidance around that? There's no. Are you just going to go home and take this on your own and sit there for six hours and then try and write a load of stuff down? You know, I suppose it's you know partly about educating people in it in in how to approach it. You know, but then. Do you take the therapeutic aspect out of it? I don't know. That all seems quite... Yeah. There's another study that's being done where they're going to give people midazolam after they've had taken psilocybin to sort of knock out the... to see if it's an epi... the epiphenomenon of the experience is important for long-term effects Mm. so they get retrograde amnesia. So we could both be out of a job in the sense where they're like, it just transpires. Don't bother writing anything down because it actually transpires. People get just the same results. But I don't want that to be the case, but I have no. to be open to it. Yeah, absolutely. My yeah. fear of it, not fear, I'm super excited if it gets become accessible in any way. Mm. But a sort of counterfactual nightmare could be that the GP who is knows nothing, they went exactly. on a couple of courses, but he's got a prescription pad, and you come back a few days later, and it's like morning the practice nurse is going, so you've written a bit down, what, what does it say? You met a demon, and then you went, <laughs> and then you saw an angel, all right, here you go. <laughs> You know, like, is that, does that sound like optimal outcomes? It doesn't, does and, it? And that, that's not being offensive to the NHS. I'm not some, I don't no, want to dismantle the, it. No, but that's the education, isn't it? It's like, it takes time to go through the system in some ways. And that, and maybe that's a generation thing as well. It's kind of like, we're more open to it now. That's why it's coming into the mainstream again. Sure. I think it would have to be at the baked in, at the training the, the undergraduate training yeah, for the psychiatrist. Exactly, exactly. I just don't see how you can have such a big unless, paradigm shift unless you're an extraordinary yeah. person and you're not... And, and, and the resistance the resistance will be biased against it because there's loads of mm. practitioners who think, I'm just going to run... A, I, I'm five years away from playing golf. Mm. If I just keep pumping out SSRIs, yeah, yeah. I can get through this. Yeah. But similarly then, the people who want this to happen, who've been screaming into the wilderness for mm. a long time, might get a bit of white line fever and say my and their ego demands that mm. this get regulated mm. so that they can be part of the cadre of people that got mm. it over the line that's interesting so yeah yeah i see this yeah. this this will grow great when people plant trees yeah. under whose shade they know they will never ever sit and i think that's happening you, you think know? so i mean i live in brighton 
and there's a there's the there's a psychedelic society there the um all the health professionals that are working for the uh, trust nhs trust down there there's a there's a um it's coming in from that level like you say planting trees and 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 you know there's i think people of our generation are kind of seeing the usefulness of it and they then they're able to now impart that the millennials are going to help us <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> all the people that are born we're in teaching the... them how to te- help us <laughs> oh jesus you go to you go to a music festival and they're like let's have a big cheer from everyone that's born in the 90s and there's a big cheer and i'm like what and then there's one that goes everyone born in the, after 2000 and you're like no one no one in the world is born after 2000 that, that's not that's not true <laughs> yeah you know um so yeah friends is retro now so that's the, yeah, the, is, the, the middle-aged people are going to the betterment of well people is in the hands of the millennials yeah and so, I, so that I does give us a responsibility then doesn't it in what way well in terms of like the educating or or how that information comes through yeah. around how to work with psychedelics or how important it is sure and and also, but also keeping a sort of healthy. It's not just like the, you know, back to the sixties. Oh yeah, the psychedelic. You know, it's kind of like, okay, it's take we're taking it seriously, mm-hmm. and and look at the you know hopefully look at the result. I mean, we're seeing it already, aren't we? You know, mm-hmm. like you, you mentioned Ben Sessa and all the work he's doing with MDMA therapy, and you know, it, it's it, it it's coming through already. Sure. So. And it I might hope, take a little bit longer, maybe. I hope this gets in the ears of people who are not circling back, but are coming through. Mm, um, yeah. And I think they, that'd they, be amazing. Yeah. Hopefully, um, uh, patience is my watchword, mm. and I'm a deeply impatient person. Mm, yeah, same. <laughs> and you've been you've been very patient with me because I'm around a little bit over. But I just wanted to say, Greg, um, first of all, if anybody does want to contact you at your at your practice or mm. is interested to know a little bit more about what you do, I know you have some YouTube videos which I will link to. Mm, well, they're but, a bit old now, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were a good primer for certain aspects oh, of, of the therapy. Okay. Yeah. Um, but if there's any other content that people want, or you know, how would how would you like people to contact you? What would be the best place uh, to find you online? Emergingpurpose.net. Okay. Yeah, and I'll, I'll link to all that and I'll also put a bit of information about um where you know psychosynthesis origins oh, and all, yeah. all the way through because just um as i said i'm asking for a mate which means that i want to educate myself yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so greg thanks this has been a blast thank um, you Niall. yeah no it's been a pleasure man yeah and hopefully we get to do it again sometime yeah, when you're at the other side of it sure yeah and you can uh we can do a bit of chair work well and we, we just like to thank we have 45 chair empty chairs in here for all Should the we pr- thank all our yeah, all our, yes all, uh, thank you for the sub <laughs> wow what a what a round of applause wow it was a, it was a squeeze but we got them all in here <laughs> uh thanks a million greg really appreciate it pleasure pleasure Well, I hope you enjoyed that, and I'm sure you'll agree that Greg makes for great company. And I wish him and all the team the very best of luck with the upcoming psilocybin for depression study at Imperial College. My New Year's resolution is to commit to one podcast a week for 2020, and so over the next fortnight, we will first be heading down under as I first release a chat I had with psychologist Dr. Margaret Ross, the chief principal investigator on the St. Vincent's psilocybin trial in Melbourne. And then the week after that, I have on deck a conversation I recently had with Kiwi Dr. Suresh Mukuturaswarmi, who is similarly breaking new scientific ground in Auckland by commencing rigorous research into LSD microdosing. I am very pleased to bring you both of these chats because there are definitely a few emerging Antipodean stars on the international map for centres of excellence in terms of psychedelic research. And as an Aussie citizen, I am regionally very pleased about that. So until then, take care. <laughs>